0: welcome to feed your health a weekly podcast with your host morgan Shepard, where we'll be taking a deep dive into the big dial movers of health focusing on movement nutrition and stress management you'll get tangible takeaways tactical knowledge and exclusive stories to inspire and empower you on your transformational health journey let's get thriving welcome to the podcast today we actually have a lot to cover I have multiple page outline. I'm excited for it. We're going to be talking about the top 5 non-negotiable things that people who lose weight do consistently. So, quick little breakdown of what those are. First one is going to be that they prioritize protein. Second, practice appetite awareness, and I'll go into a little bit about what I mean by that. Third, they move their bodies consistently. Fourth, they lift heavy weights. Yep. I know, they lift heavy weights. And then number five is that they let go of their all-or-nothing thinking and see opportunities for growth. So I'll obviously explain all of that. But uh, let's get started. So the first thing is going to be prioritizing protein. First of all, what is protein? So protein is made up of chain amino acids. And your body actually makes 11 of these amino acids on its own. And then there are another nine that your body actually can't make. And those are known as essential amino acids. And these you need to consume from your diet. So when you eat, you get protein. And protein is the building block of muscles. So this means that it helps build muscle while also preventing muscle loss. It provides structure to tissues, so like cell membranes, organs, muscles, hair, skin, nails, bones, tendons, ligaments, and blood plasma. Eating protein helps you maintain your muscle mass, as I mentioned, while you're in a caloric deficit, so if you're on a diet. And then if you are trying to gain muscle, eating protein will help you if you're eating in a surplus, so eating more calories than you burn. One of the biggest things that I think is super important to mention, muscle is one of the most defining factors when it comes to longevity. So how long your lifespan is, how long you're living, the more muscle you have, the better your body is protected. So like as you age, if you stumble or trip or fall, your muscle can be there to help prevent injury. One thing to also realize is that as we age, we experience what's called anabolic resistance and our ability to break down protein and synthesize it decreases. So this might mean that as you get older, your protein needs will increase because you aren't absorbing it as well. Protein is a great macronutrient to prioritize when you're trying to lose weight because it helps satisfy your appetite. It keeps you full longer, better than fats or carbs. And that gets me to the point of, well, how much protein do we need? It kind of all depends on what your goals are, if you're trying to build muscle or lose weight, but there's a standard that people like to talk about in the industry of having 0.6 to 1.2 grams of protein per pound of your current body weight. The more muscle you have, the more you need. The more you want muscle, the more you need. Not to get into too much math, but... I try and shoot for right now anywhere between 20 to 30 grams of protein per meal per day. Something to keep in mind when you're consuming protein, there's going to be different types. As a vegan, I consume only plant-based sources of protein, and that includes lentils, beans of all varying different types, black, pinto, kidney, navy, white. Etc. I also consume a fair amount of soy in forms of like edamame, tofu, tempeh. I try and avoid the fake milks like soy milk and almond milk and coconut milk only because they have a lot of additives and I'm not the biggest fan of additives. I don't think they're that great for your body. I also eat a lot of nuts, seeds, nut butters, that kind of thing. Those are really high in protein, but also they have some really good dietary fats for you just, you know, in moderation. And then there are certain grains that are high in protein, like quinoa, oats, brown rice, potatoes, honestly, are a great one too. And then, obviously, if you are not a vegan, like most of the planet, um, high quality meats, poultry, fish, seafood, and dairy. I would recommend steering away from things like bacon and hot dogs and lunch meats, mostly because those things have high amounts of additives and preservatives and Also, if you are eating meat, ideally try and eat grass-fed, organic, free-range, all that jazz, because there are so many issues with the meat industry that you want to be trying to consume the best source possible for you and your funds and your lifestyle. Cool. Yeah, that's protein for you. Okay, so moving on to number two, practicing appetite awareness. So what do I mean by appetite awareness? Appetite awareness essentially is learning to recognize if you're experiencing hunger or a craving. And I like to define cravings as being things that come from either a feeling in your mind, like an intense emotion that comes from like stress, boredom, tiredness. You're seeking some kind of distraction or a reward Or it could even be like a physical feeling of desiring a specific taste or texture, sweet, savory, crunchy. Usually cravings are centered around like habits and rituals. For example, if you're sitting in front of the TV and you're used to putting something in your mouth. If you're sitting in front of the TV at the same time every day and your body gets used to eating at that time, you'll experience a craving if you don't consume food at that time. A lot of people like to say that cravings only last for about 20 minutes. So if you can ride that wave, you might be able to get through it. But also one key, key part of appetite awareness is recognizing if you're hungry or not. Hunger is often felt in your gut. It's like a feeling of emptiness, pangs in your stomach. You might experience growling or gurgling noises. And it's kind of really more of a physical experience than a mental experience. But I will say that oftentimes if you're experiencing a lot of hunger, you'll have brain fog, you might feel faint, you might be shaky. The first step is to begin to practice awareness throughout your day. So trying to figure out if what you're feeling is actually hungry, notice your physical feelings, assess your body, ask yourself, are you actually hungry? Or are you thirsty? What emotions are you experiencing? Pay attention to your body's signals. Now, I've talked a lot about how some people experience leptin-resistant, which leptin is the hormone that tells you that you're full. So it might be harder for you than others to recognize when you are feeling full. But it is a process like anything else. And we can also recalibrate our hormones eventually to get them back to a balanced state of being. When you're experiencing whatever you're experiencing, pay attention to your stress levels, your energy levels, how tired are you, and then tune into your mental state. One thing I like to ask clients to do is to notice and name what they're feeling. What emotions are you experiencing? Are you irritated? Are you annoyed? Are you scared? Are you sad? Are you anxious, stressed, overwhelmed, fatigued, dissatisfied, when you begin to pay attention to what emotions you're feeling, you can recognize what needs of yours aren't being met. So oftentimes when we're feeling intense emotions, that's because certain needs aren't being met. Whether or not that's we are feeling lonely or we're feeling left out or we're we're like in a state of self-loathing or something like that, beginning to tune into what you're feeling and why you're choosing to turn to food or feeling the need to turn to food helps start the process. One thing to be aware of is that on training days, your metabolism is going to be working probably a little more efficiently and you might be hungrier. So be aware of that. You begin to be aware of all of these things. And then the next step is to learn to take quick intakes throughout your day. Just doing a little quick, okay, where am I at? You know, where are my energy? Where's my stress? What are my emotions? When was the last time I ate? And then as you navigate your day, you pay attention to those things without judgment. You just observe how you're feeling, observe when these things come up, what might trigger you, that kind of thing. And then once you have put into place this awareness that you're doing regularly throughout the day, you can begin to plan and prepare for it for any triggers that you know might come up or very specific times where you know you get tired or obviously, you know, meal prepping for, you know, breakfast, lunch, dinner, etc. The important part, the key takeaway here is that by creating awareness, you're going to begin to teach yourself what your body needs and then how to respond effectively. And you create this space between the time that you're thinking about reaching for food and you disrupt the pattern, giving yourself time to make a new choice, to choose a healthier option or a healthier alternative or to really navigate whether or not you're actually hungry or if you're just feeling other things. Yes, you could absolutely attempt to ride things out. You know, a lot of people like to prioritize restriction and deprivation and saying, I'm not going to eat these things. But as I've talked about in the past, I don't believe in restriction. I believe that when you do restrict yourself certain things, you end up binging on them and overindulging on the other end. Because as I've said before, extremes beget extremes. So when you practice appetite awareness, you are able to really tune into what it is that your body needs and choose moderation over either extreme. You know, if you feel that you you really, really need this thing, having a little, having a small little bite, go back and listen to last week's episode on the binge and restrict cycle and I talk about eating in moderation. But appetite awareness is the first step to being able to do that. And it's also very much related to mindfulness, So with mindfulness, you're being present and you're using all of your senses to be intensely aware of what you're sensing and feeling in the present moment. So it's a part of appetite awareness. It's that moment where you're tuning in to what it is that you're feeling and slowing down and giving yourself the chance to make a healthier decision each time you go through this each time you practice appetite awareness don't look at it as well is this going to work am I losing weight is this being successful but rather look at it as what have I learned what else can I learn being curious about your body and about its responses to food and developing this curiosity about the process will actually help you move through the process. Okay, that's appetite awareness. So first one, prioritize protein. Second one, practice appetite awareness. And then we are moving on to number three, which is moving your body consistently. So in my coaching, I use what's called the feed method. And the first F is called find your joyful movement. So that breaks down into J for just do it, which essentially means start. Doesn't matter what you do just move. Move more. O is for own it. So take responsibility for your own movement. Prioritize it. Make sure it's a part of your life. It's your responsibility. Take autonomy over it. Y is for yes, you can. So I know a lot of times in our brain, we come up with these excuses and we have reasons why we can't get up and go to the gym and we blame it on the weather and we blame it on something else and we blame it on this and we come up with this other excuse. You know, my clothes don't fit. I'm too tired. It's cold. It's wet. It's raining. The dog threw up. My car isn't working. I don't have equipment. It's too far, etc. The yes you can is for you to embrace the fact that you can make it work. There are all always going to be things that you can make up as your excuses, but if you're prioritizing yourself and you're owning it and you're starting and you're doing it, then you can make it work. F is for fun. Gotta make it fun. I found triathlon, and that was one of the biggest life-changing journeys that I went through. Before that, I was an ice hockey player, amateur, but I also found fun in that. So finding a sport or a movement style that is something that brings you joy So important. I was able to find community with triathlon, with running and with cycling, finding people to do the sport with, while also getting really excited about learning how to do it and learning new techniques and how I could improve and just getting really passionate about the sport that I was doing. Now, I know sometimes it's really hard when you're starting out to find the joy In the movements that you're doing, because your body is going through new experiences and it's hard and it doesn't feel right. And there's pain in places that you didn't even know could hurt. And like you're sweating. Oh my God, I hate sweating. Sweating is gross, but people do it. (laughs) It just doesn't feel great when you start. But learning that if you use music, great opportunity to listen to some cool jams. You could listen to a motivating podcast. You could go outside in nature, depending on what sports you're doing. You could watch TV. Sometimes there's opportunities to do that. You could do it with a friend. You could wear some fun clothes. Find a way to make it fun. Also, the more you do it, the more you'll begin to experience that little workout high that happens when our brains are flooded with, like, dopamine and serotonin after we've done a workout or during it, depending. Moving on. So then J-O-Y-F-U is up level. And I include up level because in the beginning, it's just about moving more. It's just about getting your body moving, doing things that are fun, doing some kind of workout that you will stick to and be consistent with and keep doing. So we're trying to make this as simple as possible and as easy as possible so that it will happen. But the more you do it, the more your body is going to adapt. And so you're going to have to up-level your routine, up-level what you're doing, maybe move away from cardio and into some weightlifting. Find new ways to move your body and push your body that will help you break through those plateaus that you're going to hit eventually. And this involves maybe you hire a coach, maybe you focus more on form, maybe you learn a little bit about the technique that's involved in your sport, whether that's running or cycling or swimming or dancing. Maybe you take a couple classes, whatever it means for you, up level at some point, because you will hit a plateau and you will feel like, oh my gosh, I'm not improving. That's when you know, okay, what else can I do? And L is for longevity. As I said, we want this to be something that you're going to keep doing for the rest of your life. Key here is that move for the rest of your life does not have to be the same movement, for the rest of your life. So I have switched sports multiple times, and I probably will still continue to switch sports. I mean, I love triathlon, so I don't see that going anywhere anytime soon. But right now, that's not my focus. My focus is on strength training and building muscle. Look at movement as what can I keep doing to support my body and my goals for the rest of my life. Rather than, oh, I have to be this gym goer for the rest of my life, or I have to be a triathlete, or I have to be a runner, or I have to be this. You don't have to be. You can do whatever you want. Just keep having movement in your life. And also, the more you do it, the longer you live, because the better your body is responding to it, and you are increasing your muscle mass, and you're increasing your cardiovascular health, and all of these things. The goal is to be less sedentary in a joyful way. So find your joyful movement and then keep doing it. And one big thing that I want to touch on within this category is what's called non-exercise activity thermogenesis, otherwise known as NEAT. NEAT is essentially all the energy that we expend for everything we do that is not sleeping, eating, or sports-like exercise. So... The walking, if we're fidgeting, if we're doing yard work, if we're doing dishes, if we are going upstairs, whatever, any kind of movement other than those. And it's important because the more that we do it, the more that it affects our metabolic rate. Need is a critical component on how we maintain our body weight and how we can either gain weight or lose weight and maintain weight. Basically, if you eat less then your body is going to adapt and subconsciously conserve more energy, which means you'll move less. So if you eat more, then your body will begin to be less conservative with energy. You know, people talk about having a step goal, anywhere from 8,000 to 10,000 steps a day. Some people do 12, etc., The key here isn't to have a perfectionist mindset when it comes to having steps. And this is one of the things that I'm really working on recently is to, because I'm stepping away from doing obsessive cardio and I'm stepping away from Ironman type training where I would do like long two to five hour workouts because that's what is required for endurance training. And I'm moving more into just walking. I... I'm coming from a background of pushing my body and walking feels different. So I'm navigating that. So I just want to point out that when you are looking at your NEAT or how much you're walking, your steps for the day, accept good enough. So some days you'll have really, really good days and you'll hit 12,000 steps. And some days you might only hit 2000, but make it a point to put it in your day, schedule it in, whether that's a morning walk or an afternoon walk or both or even if you just spent 15 minutes tidying your house and running around and cleaning up stuff that's movement too. So you can factor all of those things in. Some things to keep in mind that might help you motivate yourself to put walking into your day is that walking will improve your body composition, blood pressure, it's going to help slow weight gain and it also reduces the risk of heart disease. And one of the big big components that I really love is that walking actually helps with digestion. So if you're feeling bloated or if you're having trouble having bowel movements, walking will actually help you do that because it helps get everything going and flowing and all that jazz. All right, so we covered NEAT. The real focus is to be less sedentary in your daily life. Our society has gone from being hunter gatherer type people to sitting in a chair at a desk, not moving at all, all day. And our bodies weren't designed to do that. And so we're just turning into these balls of mush. If you're not using it, then it's not going to work for you. So if you want to increase your lifespan, move more. And that moves into number four, lift heavy weights. It's not a controversy exactly, but it's it's something that is discussed often in this industry is cardio versus strength training. And I don't think you have to separate them. I don't think you have to say, oh, one is better than the other. But I do think you have to realize that a combination is a great idea. But if you want to get your goals faster, strength training is the way to go. And for a while, there was a lot of stigma around, oh, if I lift weights, I'm going to get bulky and all of that. And you're not. Like, it takes a lot of work to build muscle and a lot of really focused, specific training where you're eating specific things in a certain way and you're really pushing your body to like increase muscle mass. It's not just going to happen because you lift some weights. It's got to be focused. Why do we focus on lifting weights? Essentially, what happens when you strength train is that you are tearing down the muscle fibers during whatever movements you're doing so that during your rest periods and your recovery after the workout, they can put themselves back together and rebuild stronger. It's kind of like if you took some Legos and you built this thing. And then for the workout, when you're doing the actual strength training, you're taking the Legos apart and during recovery, you build it back up, but it's better. So that's essentially what happens during strength training. It's got so many different benefits, you know, working on like specific body composition changes, strength training builds muscle, as we talked about. And as I may have mentioned, muscle burns more calories throughout the day. So there's that added benefit. Not only that, it's going to support your joints and better body mechanics and lifting actually increases bone density. So you're going to have stronger bones. And all of that's going to help with longevity. As I mentioned before, you're going to be more mobile, more agile. If you hit yourself and you fall, you're less likely to be injured because your body's more protected. Strength training is great for helping manage chronic illnesses, improving your mental health, improving your cardiovascular health. It also helps with balancing your hormones and controlling your blood sugar levels. As I mentioned previously when talking about protein, as you age, you begin to lose as much as 3 to 5% of muscle per decade. And less muscle means that you're at a greater risk for injury, you have less mobility, and all of these may increase your risk for fractures and falls. The earlier you start lifting weights, the earlier you build muscle, and then you can support living longer. Seems like a no-brainer, right? But it's, you know, I get it. It's hard. It's hard to try something new. It's hard to do something that you're, you've never done before. Or, you know, if you don't have a plan, if you don't know all the techniques. I mean, not everyone has an education on how to strength train. But I think starting and attempting to learn is better than nothing. Some things to keep in mind if you are going to jump into learning how to strength train. You ideally want a progressive overload program. So you want something that is going to get harder and, and harder as you go so that you don't plateau. You'll ramp it up for several weeks. Usually it's like a six-week period and then you have a deload week which means that you take it back down to an easier weight and then you do it again. And as your strength and endurance improves you can add more weight, do more reps, have more sets, that kind of thing. And the cool part about strength training is that you don't really need to be doing it more than three to four times a week. A lot of times people are nervous about doing this because they think, oh, it's going to take me so much time and I'm going to have to do two hours a day at the gym every day, seven days a week. And like, no, you don't have to do all that. I mean, you, you could, but like then you'd be overtraining. Three to four times a week, you're going to see results. Always remember to start with a dynamic warm up. Loosen up your body. Loosen up the areas that you're going to be working. Make sure you loosen up your spine and your hips, shoulders, ankles, wrists. I know for me, because i worked in food service for so many years, I suffer from carpal tunnel syndrome sometimes. So it's very important for me to open up that area of my wrists so that it doesn't swell and expand and like cause tightness or tingling or anything like that. So always focus on having a very dynamic warm-up. And then I like to do anywhere from five to six exercises, usually three sets of these exercises with varying degrees of weights. Obviously, when you're beginning, you're going to have to do what works for you and figure out what you can lift, depending on what your experience levels are. But you can play around with that, recognizing that the number of reps will affect what your body is doing. So like, for example, if you're in the one to six Rep range, you're going to be improving strength. If you're in the 8 to 12 rep range, you're really focusing on hypertrophy. And if you're in the 12 plus range, you're more focusing on like muscle endurance and learning to do it over and over and over again. And it's sort of creating this ability in your body to fire it repeatedly. But you could do a combo of any one of those. You know, a lot of people like to go on Instagram and do a workout here and a workout there. And while that is great when you're starting out, I always recommend having a program because it allows you to grow and improve. So track what you're doing, record things, and then make sure it's progressive so that you can grow and improve, you know, what you pay attention to, you're able to improve upon. Always, and I know everyone avoids this part, but end with some static stretching, maybe some mobility work. I love... Both Kelly Starrett and Aaron Carson from EC Fit both have great mobility work that you can run your body through. And then just with every other workout that you do, I always recommend making sure that you get in protein and carbs within 30 minutes of your workout and making sure to rehydrate. I think that there's a whole bunch of different variety of lifts out there that you could be doing. But there are some specific areas and movements that are really important to master, get a hang of, because they're similar to what we do as humans in our daily lives. So squatting, deadlifting, also known as a hinge, hip thrusting, chest press, overhead press, pull up, push up, dips, row, lunge, certain dynamic stability movements, twists and carries. And I like to break it up into certain sections. So you have your upper body and your lower body. Upper body would be like chest, shoulders, triceps, and abs. And then you also have your biceps and your back. And then lower body would be hamstrings, glutes, calves, shins, quads. And then you can play around with all of those. But the keys when you are beginning a strength program or any kind of strength routine Make sure that you pay attention to form and if you don't know what you're doing, then you look it up and you find someone who does and learn that way, whether that's you watch YouTube videos or you hire a coach or you go in for a lesson somewhere. Making sure that you're focusing on form and you're thinking through the movement and you're focusing on your muscles as you're doing it rather than just like winging it. You're actually going to see and feel more growth if you... Focus on the muscle contractions as you're actually moving your body, which, you know, if you're me, I would go get a book and read a book on how to do it all and like what muscles need to be moving for specific exercises and that kind of thing. But not everybody does books. So always start small, recognize that it's going to take a while for your body to begin to adapt to these new changes And that you're not going to build muscle right away. Like I said, it takes a lot of dedication and focus. So don't worry about bulking up. So yeah, that's strength training and why I think lifting weights is one of the biggest things that you can do for longevity but also for your weight loss goals because there's so many benefits and you'll actually get there faster than if you're doing obsessive two-hour cardio workouts in a gym where you're just burning calories. If you're burning all your body away, you don't have any muscle underneath to support it. So really focus on building the muscle as well as burning some calories. And then we move into number five. That is letting go of all or nothing thinking and seeing opportunities for growth. So what do I mean by that? What is all or nothing thinking? I feel like I've talked about this before, but essentially, it means having a very fixed mindset where you feel like you have to do things perfectly, or you can't do them at all. And this sort of relates like to when I was talking about steps. If you set yourself the goal of having anywhere from 8,000 to 10,000 steps a day, and you know you're not you're not succeeding and you're not doing that on a specific day, having an all or nothing mindset would be, oh, well, I'm not going to reach those numbers. So I'm not even going to try, I'm not even going to bother to do it at all because I know I can't succeed at that. If you step away from that mindset, step away from that thinking and look at it as, okay, I may not be able to do it all today, but what can I do? What can I put into my day? How can I look at this as an opportunity rather than a failure, rather than a chance for me to give up. I could say, well, I can squeeze in five minutes here and 10 minutes here and another 15 over here, and that's going to get me up to like 2,000. And then if I throw in a little walk after dinner, I might get up to 4,000. You know, find a way to make it work and don't look at it as I have to be perfect. This also ties into your eating habits. So if you, I've talked about this before, but if you have a cookie, And then you're like, well, I've had one cookie, so fuck it. I may as well just have 20 cookies. That is a very all or nothing mindset. Rather than looking at it like that, look at it like, okay, I had one cookie. How do I feel? Am I feeling emotional about it? Am I feeling disgusted at myself for having one cookie? Why? Can I embrace this as... An opportunity for growth and be like, okay, I'm okay with having one cookie. I can be comfortable in moderation and sticking with one cookie and I can learn from this. For example, I used to eat two Oreos after dinner instead of... I went from eating a lot of dessert to eating two Oreos after dinner and then over time began to realize that eating two Oreos actually made me feel nauseous. So now I have one Oreo and I don't feel nauseous. But I was able to use that as an opportunity for growth and be like, okay, how can I eat in moderation the things that I'm craving, but also not feel nauseous and sick? And how can I better support my goals in this process? It also ties into this idea of abundance versus scarcity. So when we are in all or nothing thinking, we are often feeling like we have to eat the whole plate or we have to have dessert because we may never get this again. And we have FOMO. We have fear of missing out that, you know, the restaurant might close and we'll never be able to have dessert. And maybe we don't go through this whole thought process, but subconsciously we're like, I have to have dessert because I'm at a restaurant. This is what I do. I treat myself when I go to dinner somewhere. But what if you looked at it as, I can have dessert whenever I want to have dessert. I'm not restricting myself but I'm choosing not to have dessert because it doesn't necessarily support my goals. Or if I do have dessert, I only have a little of it rather than going all in and giving up on everything. So seeing opportunities for growth rather than having a fixed mindset. And by doing that, you allow yourself to begin to develop self-trust because you're letting go of the old way of restriction and binging. And you're embracing this new way of eating things moderately, and trusting yourself to not go all in to not overdo it and you're accepting that it's your responsibility to advocate for yourself and to say hey I'm going to be the type of person that eats like this learning to ask yourself what it is that you actually want you know not just what are your what is your body craving food wise but like what are you trying to achieve with your food goals and your nutrition This may mean that you, you know, you pre-eat or you plan out your meals or you bring food when you go to events. For example, I went to a wedding last week and I brought a cooler of my own food, partially because I'm vegan, but also because I'm tracking my food and I want to make sure I'm getting in enough protein. And I knew that going to someone's event where I wasn't in control of what food was available meant that I might be off track and I didn't want to do that. So I brought my own food but I also brought cookies because I was like, I also want dessert. I don't want to miss out on that, but I'm going to eat a dessert that works with my goals rather than overindulging and going all in and having three slices of wedding cake. Practicing discernment and remembering that Your meals don't happen in isolation, so what you're deciding to eat on a Monday is going to impact how you eat the following weekend. Like, it's not all or nothing. Every little bit counts to a degree. Basically, how you eat in the morning is going to affect how you eat in the evening. All of these little choices have an impact. Not in an overwhelming all or nothing sense, like you don't have to be perfect, but in the sense of like... The more good choices you make, the farther along on your journey you are. Be proactive in your food choices. Don't sit there in autopilot. Don't let food control you, but choose what works for you and what will satisfy you. And then make sure that you're making your food choices based on what your desires are and not what the environment is providing you. And while that sounds wonderful, you're probably like, yeah, but Morgan, that's that sounds easy but like it's not (laughs) and I get it you know I am coming from being a perfectionist I'm a recovering perfectionist as I like to say because I've recognized that there is no such thing as perfection and perfection actually slows you down because you then get stuck in this all or nothing thinking where you feel like well if I can't be perfect then I won't do it so learning to let go of that allows you the opportunity to live in acceptance and to accept mistakes, accept failures, not as failures as like, you're not worthy, or you're not deserving, or you've like failed, and it has some effect on your worth, but rather accepting failures as what can I learn from this? How will this be an opportunity for me to improve myself and grow and find a new way and discover something new about how my body reacts to things or what I might need? how will these decisions affect my long-term goals? Really dive deep into what is the situation that I'm currently in and how will these choices that I make affect the long-term goals? I've been traveling recently and I know I'm not hitting my steps, but rather than beating myself up over it, I'm looking at where can I find new ways that I could get in more steps and how can I be okay with good enough? Because each Good decision that I make moves me closer to my goals. And none of this is an overnight fix. It's all about finding what works for you. Let's do a quick little review on what I talked about. I talked about five non-negotiables that people who lose weight do consistently. Number one, they prioritize protein. Number two, they practice appetite awareness. Number three, they move their bodies consistently. Number four, they lift heavy weights. Number five, They let go of all or nothing thinking and see opportunities for growth. That sounds very simple. And there's so many other things that go into the process of losing weight. But if you start with one of those and begin to practice it, slowly you'll eventually begin to see changes. Realigning with your goals, figuring out what works with you. Take it slow. You know, keep it simple. Don't overwhelm yourself with new changes. One little change per week at a time is the quickest Path to behavior change and to sustainable weight loss. Obviously, there's more things that we could discuss with each of these components, but that's the basics for today. I hope some of this was valuable, and I hope you're able to implement some of these new practices or ways of thinking to help you on your journey towards weight loss. As always, thanks so much for listening. Please leave me a review or a rating, and I hope that. You found value in what I've talked about today. We are on our 16th episode. Oh my goodness. Wrapping up now. Thank you so much for listening. And I'll talk to you soon. Ciao.